Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Isn't that great? Well, if you were here last uh, year, you know, we did this last year, first time, kind of an initiative for the poor. It was our very first initiative, and uh, it was awesome. We were able to raise, I think, $24,000 just for that one week, and so we're going to be doing it again starting tonight. I had, my last, uh, I had my last root beer before I came, so I've got my new bracelet on to remind me now. And so here's how it works if you're new at this. Uh, what we're asking you to do, if you feel so led to join us in this, is that, that you would, uh, this week, you would just kind of just only drink water, and, and that uh, what you would do is that you just keep careful track of uh, how much uh, you're saving. So, you, you know, I would have gone to Starbucks. I would have had a, uh, a beverage out at Islands. Uh, I would have, you know, whatever. And you keep track at home, too. I know Lynn and I, uh, on our refrigerator, we put a kind of a thing on the refrigerator, and it, we just keep track, you know, because I'm a big tea drinker, so every time I would have drank tea, you know, mark it down. You, know, you would have juice. You would have had whatever. You would have wine, whatever. You know, whatever the thing is, just kind of mark it down, tally it up in the week. And then next weekend, uh, we will bring those uh, gifts, kind of over and above gifts that we've saved. Uh, bring that money in. We'll have the um, we'll have our, the water bottles out again. Just drop it in. We just want to see how much we can uh, bring in. It just it seemed like a great thing to do before we go into Easter. I mean, this is the week we celebrate what Jesus sacrificed for us. And it's just a small way for us to join him in reaching out to the world. And so if you want to do that, on the way out, there's baskets, and there are these uh, bracelets. This time we went with maroon. It's kind of almost like blood-colored, and that was the idea as we, th- we think of this week, uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It would remind us uh, not only not to drink anything else, but uh, it would remind us and just kind of help us prepare our hearts as we get ready for Easter, okay? So I hope you join me in that. Looking forward to seeing uh, uh, what we can do just to help uh, drill some more walls, and hopefully this time in Uganda is what we're, we're hoping for. Uh, secondly, uh, if you were here last week, uh, I announced last week that, um, you know, this has been a great year in so many ways, and we're, we're, we're growing numerically, we're growing spiritually, and we're growing financially. I mean, so we're, we're, we're being blessed right now. But, but since the beginning of the year, I've also sensed uh, just a growing sense of spiritual warfare. It's uh, as you know me, I'm, I'm one to kind of slow to say that. I'm not, I'm not one to call kind of devil behind everything kind of person. I think we do plenty of messing up on our own. We don't need any help. But, um, but there are times where you sense that there's something going on. And I shared it last week. It's almost like uh, uh, wildflowers. You just kind of see a little one here. You see one there. And pretty soon it's like, hey, someone's setting these things. And, and so it was a couple of weeks ago that uh, I was praying about this, and I, I just really felt like God was saying it's time to, to go to war. It's, and it's time for you to, to lead the charge. It's time you call the congregation. It's time for us to go to battle. Because my sense is, is that we're on the verge of some really good things here and that uh, Satan is just trying to stop it. And it's interesting. Even since I shared that last week, I have heard so many stories of people coming and say, when you said it, it just made things fall into place for me and my own personal life. And, and I've, I've sensed that, haven't had a name for that. Uh, and so, um, so what we're going to ask you to do is this Thursday night, we're going to start a 24 hours of prayer. We're just going to go to war and, and we're, we're, we're going to stand on the authority we have in Jesus Christ He's broken the power of uh, Satan. He's broken the power of death. And we're going to stand in that power. We're going to have a 24 hours of prayer here at the church and invite you to come and spend at least an hour here with us. If Rocky Peak is your church home, if you believe in what God is doing here, if you're part of this movement, I'd ask you to come. Sometimes I've asked you in the past, we do a 24 hours of prayer. Hey, just pick an hour wherever you are. That time, that, that offers off the books this time, all right? This time, I'm really asking you to come here to the campus. I think there's power in us being together. 
And it's, uh, if you've never been one, it's, the hour goes very fast. We'll have some music going in the background, kind of slow lighting. Uh, we'll have some suggested prayer requests. But really, we're just going to encourage you to pray for what God's leading you to pray for. And, and if those requests you want, they're helpful, great. But we're just going to come before him and say, God, we're, we're your people. Uh, we're here to unleash a movement. We want to pursue you. Uh, we, we want to uh, touch lives for eternity. And, and we're just going to pray for your protection, your leadership, and your guidance. And so I'm very excited about that. So to start... This Thursday at 5, it'll go till Friday at 5, which is the start of our, our Good Friday services. And then in the Good Friday services, I'm uh, going to be talking about what theologians call Christus Victor, which means that Christ, when he died, not only did he die for our salvation, but he died to release us from the power of the evil one. And he now has all authority in the universe. We are part of that authority. And as believers, we have the power to wield that authority in prayer. And so we're going to be teaching on that, what happened on the cross of Jesus that sets us free from the power of the evil one. So uh, it'll be a great uh, service together as we celebrate, okay? So uh, my name's Mike. If you're brand new, welcome. I am the lead pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak, and we're glad you're here. Inside your program is a uh, message note sheet that we use every week for our time of teaching. And so uh, assuming you're ready to go, uh, we're going to jump in. Y'all set for this? All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for what you're doing at this church and, and the movement that you're unleashing. God, we're coming alive spiritually. We're, we're growing in our passion for you. We're setting our sights on eternity. Uh, we're living more and more for that. We're learning how to give. We're learning how to serve. We're learning how to make a difference. And, and so, God, we just realize that today is the next step on that journey. And so we just pray for a heavy anointing of your spirit on this service that that as I teach, as we all gather around your word, that you would speak and we'd hear your voice and that it would be loud, it would be clear, it would be direct, it would be life transforming and that we would not just hear the word and not just love the word, but we would go out and then do the word and, and unleash its power in our life. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today back in January of this year. It was, it was right at the end of the month and uh, he, he and his family have been coming to Rocky Peak for about three years. It was about three years ago that they were going through a time of, of crisis in their life. Their marriage was falling apart, largely because of some decisions that, that he had made, some bad decisions. On top of that, she had some major medical things going on. She had a very difficult pregnancy. She was in the hospital for three months with this pregnancy. And, and so their, their life was kind of falling apart. But the, the real reason was because he was living on the dark side. He was pursuing the dark side. And so uh, the good thing that happened is that through the pain of that time, that, that God began to speak to him and call him to himself, and he gave his life to Christ. And, and so about two weeks after that, he started coming here to Rocky Peak, and, and I got to meet them and watch him begin to grow. And within a few months, he was baptized and, and kind of publicly professing Christ. And, and their lives began to change, and his life began to change, and their marriage began to come together, and their family began to come together. And, and they have turned into this... Uh, couple that's a passionate Christ follower, and I just love seeing them, and I love seeing them. And they're now they're a family of five and watching what God's done in their life, and it's just been this amazing journey to watch God transform their life from disaster into something beautiful for him. And so, so I've watched this, but it's not always been easy. And one of the things that's been hard for them is their finances. You know, we've all gone through this recession. I know so many of you have suffered with that. And so he had a, a regular full-time job. He worked hard at his job, very good at what he does. Uh, but he also had a second job, kind of a side job that was very lucrative. He had several clients. He uh, was bringing in some significant money. And when the recession hit, 
uh, that industry, that, so the second industry, kind of, it, it just kind of the, the money went away. And then on top of that, this last year, uh, the house that they'd rented for many years, uh, the owners decided to sell it. And, and so they had to move out, and they'd been given them a great deal because they'd lived there for so long. And so they, now they, they had increased expenses, reduced income. And then in January, they had their car had some major car repair that they weren't expecting. That. And all of a sudden, at the end of January this year, they, they were in a financial crisis, and he wasn't sure how he was going to feed his family. And so uh, he was praying about this, and, and he just felt God was coming to, to trust him. Just, would you trust me with this? And so he was trying to trust him. And you know how that's hard. I mean, it's hard in a time like that. And so on this particular morning, he's driving to meet with his life group, the group of men that he meets with every week. And as he's driving there, praying for God to, to speak to him, what, what should I do? He hears God clearly speak to him. He says, I want you to ask. I want you to tell the men of your group what you're going through and ask them to pray for you. And so he doesn't want to do this, right, because it's embarrassing. You're a man. You don't want to tell people you can't feed your family. And so, so he doesn't want to say this, but he feels like God is being very direct with him. And so, so when he gets there, he pulls up in the driveway. He stops. He, he turns the engine off. He begins to pray one more time. God, could you just speak really clear if that's really from you? And once again, he heard the same thing. And so, so he turns off the engine, feels like he can't be disobedient any longer. And so he, he turns off the engine. He reaches over. He gets his Bible, gets his book that they're studying and he heads into the house to share with these men this financial crisis that they're in. Well, today we're, uh, we're continuing this series that we've been in now for the last six weeks. And if you are new, uh, 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 bless you. We're just glad you're here. You know, God is unleashing a movement here. And, and every week he's bringing new people. And every month I get to meet you at my house and, and just to hear the stories of how you are coming and the, and the lives that are changing as you're coming. And so if you're brand new, welcome. We're glad you're here. And I want to take just a minute or two and bring you up to speed. Uh, this series you can see on the wall is called Just Do It. It's a study in the letter of, uh, of James in the New Testament, which is a letter written from one of the great leaders, leaders of the early movement of Jesus. He's a man whose name is James. He's actually the half-brother of Jesus, grew up with Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus until the resurrection. That changed his mind. Um, and then so when he came to Jesus, he became one of the great leaders in the early church. And so he's writing to some fellow Christ followers, uh, Jewish Christ followers, very early in the movement of Jesus. This is, most scholars believe, the earliest document in our whole New Testament uh, written 10 to 15 years after the resurrection. And so it's a very practical letter, and if you've been here, you know this. I mean, even the last three weeks, we talked about three weeks about temptation, uh, where it comes from, where it leads. We, we talked uh, uh, two weeks ago about anger and, and how the anger of man can not accomplish the purpose of God and how it can destroy a life. Uh, last week, we talked about the Word of God and how it has the power to unleash uh, uh, God's power in our life to change our lives. And yet we learn that unless we obey it, 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 it doesn't really have any power at all in our lives. And so, uh, very practical. Well, today we come to the next topic, which is what James will call pure religion. Uh, and I'm calling true religion. Uh, and so, uh, and he's going to focus especially on uh, loving the poor is the topic of the day. And so, if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to James chapter 1. And we'll pick it up at verse 26. We're just going to go through just, just two verses today, 26 and 27, uh, because I'm hoping still to be teaching in this when Jesus comes back. And so 
actually, uh, and we're going to figure, you know, chapter one goes kind of slow, but then it's going to pick up. Uh, I'm actually working on our next series already, and uh, so I'm very excited about that, but uh, we're, this series is going to end about July, okay, so it's going to, we've been going, chapter one goes slower, but then it starts picking up speed when we hit chapter two. So here we go, chapter one and verse uh, 26. Uh, James says, if, any, uh, if anyone considers himself religious. Now, I want to stop right there. Because here at Rocky Peak, we use religion. We use, we're usually referring to something negative, right? Like, like God, God's not called us into religion. He's not calling us into man-made rules, traditions. That gets in the way of a relationship with God. So he calls us into relationship, not into religion. That's how we normally use it. And that's how the New Testament usually says, too. The word religion is rarely, rarely used in the New Testament. It's not, it's not a New Testament word. But it can be used in a positive sense to talk about a true relationship with God as opposed to impure religion, which would be uh, hypocritical, uh, man-made, going through the motions, not, not truly from the heart. And that's how James is using it. The word he uses here for religion in the Greek, it's only used five times in one form or another, the whole New Testament, and James uses it three times in these two verses. So you kind of get the idea. But uh, anyway, he says, if anyone considers himself religious, and he use, he's using that in a positive sense. Like if, any, you, if you consider yourself a person who has a true relationship with God, that you have a genuine relationship with God, you, you're a true Christ follower. You've given your life to Christ. He's using it in a positive sense. If anyone considers himself religious, but does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, okay, kind of watch what you say, then he deceives himself. And his religion is what? Worthless. Okay, it's worth nothing. Now, very interesting. Remember last week, if you were here last week, here's the topic. He says the word of God has the power to change our lives. But he says in order to unleash that power, uh, you have to act on it. It's not enough to listen to the word and love the word. Wasn't that a great message? We have to do the word. And it's at that point that we light the stick of dynamite, throw it in our lives, and boom, things start happening, right? Until that, the dynamite's there. There's, there's not been lit. Remember that? And then remember what he said is it's, he said it's possible to deceive ourselves. Remember that language? He said that it's possible to think that because we're listening and because we're loving it, that we're actually doing it. So this week, he's going to give us three examples of how it's easy to deceive ourselves. He's going to give three practical, let me tell you how, what it looks like to do the word. Let me give you three examples. And the first one, he says, is controlling your speech, controlling what you say. And so he says, uh, he says in 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he what? He, he what? He deceives himself. And so you, you see, he's picking up that theme from last week. Yeah, and so this has become a big theme in James, that, that one of the marks of a Christ follower is we learn to shut our mouth, that we learn to control what we say, that we use to learn our, that words are powerful and we use them to build people up, not tear people down, okay? And so it's a big theme in James, and he's going to come back to that in chapter 3. Then he goes on, he gives us a second example of what true religion looks like. He says, religion that God, uh, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless, the real deal, is this. He says, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Okay, so this is a second example. 
First example, control your mouth. If you're Christ's father, you've got to control your mouth. Uh, second example, take care of widows and orphans. Now, here's the interesting thing. When the Bible talks about widows and orphans, it's not just talking about widows and orphans. It's talking about anyone who is weak and vulnerable and unable to take care of himself. And that kind of the shorthand Bible way of saying that is weak and, uh, I mean, is orphans and widows. And here's why. In the ancient world, there was no such thing as social security. There was no such thing as welfare programs. There was no such things as life insurance. And if you were a woman, there was very few jobs for women. Okay, and so, so, so picture this. What happens if you're married, have a couple kids, and your husband dies, you can be in serious trouble right away because there's no social safety net for you and there's no way to earn a living. And so unless you have some family around or willing to take you in, you can find yourself destitute very fast. Are you with me in this? You follow this? And so in the Bible, the widows and orphans, you'll see it throughout all the New Testament, it becomes sort of a representative of those who are poor, those who are vulnerable, those who are weak, those who are for whatever reason, disabled, whatever the thing is, can't take care of themselves. Okay? So, so the Bible's really big, like, like if you're able-bodied and you can work, you should work. And, and if, you, if you are able-bodied and, should, and you're not willing to work, then you should starve to death. Uh, the church of Jesus shouldn't help you. They should say, God bless you, rest in peace, right? <laughs> we'll help bury you, but uh, we're going to let your hunger drive you to develop a work ethic in your life. Okay? But, but if you're poor, you're weak, you're defenseless, you can't take care of yourself, then we're to take care. So that's the second mark of a true Christ follower. First one, you control your mouth. Second one, you take care of the poor. Number three, he says the third example is you would keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so the world has its values, doesn't it? We live in a fallen world. It's anti-God. Uh, it's uh, a pro-evil. And he says, when you, when you come to Jesus, we leave the world behind. We, we leave the, that, those values behind us. In fact, back in verse 21, he talked about this last week. He said, therefore, verse 21, get rid of all moral filth in your life. You're a Christ follower now. Get rid of the moral filth. And, and the evil that's so prevalent in the culture around you, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And so when you come to Jesus, uh, there's two things that happens when a man or woman comes to Jesus. And they happen at the same time. We turn from sin and we turn to Jesus in faith. And so we repent from what is wrong and we trust him for our salvation. And catch this, there is no conversion without repentance, right? It's not like, oh, we're just gonna, I just want to trust in Jesus. I don't want to leave my sin, right? It's like there is no conversion without both sides, repentance and faith. And so, so what he's saying is you're Christ followers, Live it out, uh, you know, live a life that's pure from the world. Now, here's the thing. These three topics, watching what you say, loving the poor, and keeping yourself pure from the world, these three things are big topics for James. For him, they are core marks of a true Christ follower. And so we're going to see them throughout this letter coming up. And the first and the last one, the watch what you say and the uh, uh, stay pure from the world, they come up big time 
in chapter 3 and 4. And so we're going to hold off from talking about those two until we get to 3 and 4. But this, this middle one where he talks about loving the poor, this is the clearest statement about it in all of James. He will refer to it in chapter 2 briefly by, will of il- way, will of illustra- by way of illustration. But this is his, his kind of primary statement. And so today we're going to focus on this one, all right? He gives us three examples. We're going to focus on the middle one. We'll hit the other two later in the series when we get to chapter 3 and 4. All right, so, so let's talk about this. Um, uh, there in your note sheet is a section called True Religion, Loving the Poor. And one of the things that I've pointed out in this series almost every week is that James, more than any other author in the New Testament, uh, bases his teaching off the teaching of Jesus. And so you often hear the teaching of Jesus in the background. And week after week, I've pointed that out almost every week. And so this week is no exception because when you turn to the teaching of Jesus, one of the things you find is Jesus is very big on loving the poor. In fact, he assumes that his Christ followers will love the poor. For example, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you give gifts to the poor. He doesn't say, if you give gifts. He says, when you give gifts. He assumes it. He models it in his life. It's one of his most frequent teachings that you, you live for the next life by giving to the poor. It comes up over and over again. And so if we had more time today, uh, I, I would walk you through several examples of that. But we don't really have time for that because we have other things to do. And so I put some examples there on your note sheet. You can read it for yourself and so on. But I do want to take you to one passage that is one of his most powerful teachings about uh, the poor. And it's in Matthew chapter 25. And I'd like you to turn there if you would. Matthew chapter 25. And while you're turning there, let me set the, uh, set the stage. Here, here's what's happening. Matthew 25 is the last week of Jesus' life. There's a lot of people that, uh, that, that, that most people don't understand that he's about to die and then go back to heaven. Uh, they're expecting the kingdom of God to come right here, right now in power. And so Matthew 25, Jesus teaches three stories to help them understand he's going away. And while Jesus is away, that, that we're to be extending his movement and his kingdom. And we need to stay focused on our task. And as the church of Jesus, we need to be faithful and responsible. We've all received talents. We need to use those. We need to be living every day in light of his coming. And so he teaches three powerful stories. But the last one uh, is, the, I think, the hardest hitting of all. And it's the story of the sheep and the goats. Now, the way this works is that in those days, if you're a shepherd at the end of the day, you would separate out the sheep from the goats in order that they'd sleep in different areas. And so he's going to use this as an analogy. And here's what he's going to say. He says, uh, when I return, when I come back to planet Earth, I, I'm going to separate all human beings into two camps. And there's going to be, it's like, it's like a shepherd separating sheep from goats. So, so you're either a sheep or you're a goat, okay? Now, in this story, the goal is to be a sheep, Okay? That, that's the hot tip. You want to be a sheep in this story. Don't be a goat. This is not like reading circles in first grade where it doesn't matter, turtle, sheep, goat. This is like you want to be a sheep in the story. And so uh, in this story, he's going to tell us, uh, and the reason is, is because the sheep go to what Jesus says is eternal life or his kingdom, the next life, and the goats go to eternal fire, which sounds to me like what? Hell, yes. And so you can see the stakes are high in this story. You want to be a sheep, not a goat. And so it, it raises this, okay, like how do I get to be a sheep? You know, like I want to make sure I'm on the sheep side of things 
Uh, I don't want to be like roasted goat. So here we go. So chapter uh, 25 of Matthew, and we'll pick it up at verse um, 31. So he says, when the Son of Man, which of course is named for himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about the end of time, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, so everyone's going to be gathered, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And I'll put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Now remember, what we want to be who, a sheep or a goat? Sheep, so we want to be on his right. Okay, good. So the king will say to those on his right, that's the sheep, he says, come you who are blessed by my father. And remember, remember this, in Jewish thinking, the ultimate goal in life is you want to be blessed. That, that's the way to say you're the good life, the way to say we would say you're fulfilled, you're a meaningful life. You want to, be, you want to live under the blessing of God. That's the ultimate goal. And so he says, uh, he says, come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This has been part of God's eternal plan. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty. He's going to explain to them why they get to be sheep and not goats. So he says, the reason is because you, you were really kind to me. You loved me. You met my needs when I was really, in a, you, know, you, you loved me. That's why. Okay, you loved me in practical ways. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your house. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me, and I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, the sheep, because they are the righteous people, are very honest people. And so they're, they, they, you know, like if it's me at this point, I'm going, I don't even remember that, but um, I'm, I'm fine. That's good. As long as I'm with the sheep, I'm happy. I'm not, I'm not saying a word. But, of course, they're, they're better than I am. So they say to him in verse 37, they can't figure this out. So 37 said that the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Like we don't really remember. I think I'd remember this, Jesus. Like if you, if you were there and I, I bought you, you know, lunch at Taco Bell, I think I would remember that. And so he said, I don't remember, and I don't remember you thirsty uh, and giving you something to drink. Um, and and when, you, uh, when, when did we see you a stranger, invite you into a house, or needing clothes? clothes. So they just don't remember. It's not ringing a bell. And, uh, and so in, in verse 7, when did we see you sick or in prison, go to visit you? And so the king will reply. Now, here's the punchline of the whole story. He says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, right? So one of, the, one of the least of these, they're in prison, they're poor. Uh, society would call them the, the kind of the, the least valuable. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Now, now here's the interesting thing. Often when this passage is taught, this passage is taught like this. Okay? It's taught like this, that, that as Christ's followers, we need to love the poor wherever we find them because when you touch the poor, you touch Jesus, right? That's, that's how it's often taught. And, and I think that's, and I want to be clear here, I think it's a true principle. Like Jesus taught us as Christ's followers that, that we are to love indiscriminately. It doesn't matter whether someone is a Muslim, an atheist, an enemy, it doesn't matter. We just love people, right? And, and so in Luke chapter 10, he told the whole story of the good Samaritan to, to make that point that you love even your enemies. You, you love them great. Okay, so, so there's no question that we're to love whoever we come across. That's not the point. But, but Jesus, I believe in this passage, is teaching something much more profound than that. Because I want you to see what he says in verse 40. He says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, whom? Yeah. 
brothers. Say that word again. Brothers. At least to these brothers of mine. Now catch this. Jesus in the New Testament never uses language uh, superficially. It's always carefully chosen. And the New Testament in Jesus never calls anyone a brother except someone who's a believer in him. Someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus, who's believed in Jesus, and who has been born again and has God as our father. And since God is my father, Jesus is now my brother. Are you with me in this? And and so Jesus never refers to the whole human race as his brothers and sisters. The New Testament never refers to all humanity as the children of God. No, the human race are sons of disobedience. You don't become a children of God until through Christ repentance takes place and rebirth. You see what I'm saying? And so, in fact, uh, I put one verse just as an example to show you this. In Mark chapter 3, there's this great story where uh, uh, Mary and uh, Jesus' brothers and sisters are concerned about him, and they go to talk with him. He's at a house. It's jam-packed. They can't get inside standing room only. So they send a message into him via messenger, and the messenger comes and says, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting for you. And I want you to see what Jesus says there in your note sheet, Mark chapter 3. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. And then he looked at those in a circle around them and said, here are my mother and brothers. You, you, you picturing this? These, his disciples, they're sitting around him, listening to his teaching, there's followers. He says, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You see that? You see? So, so Jesus never calls a human race his brothers and sisters it's like you don't become a brother and sister of Christ until you become a follower of Christ. You're forgiven. You're born again. You're part of the family. Now you're my brother. So with that in mind, go back to Matthew 25 now, and let's look at verse 40 again. Because Jesus is saying something very profound. He says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. So here's what Jesus is teaching, and this is New Testament teaching, is that When I touch a brother or sister of Jesus, I touch Jesus. When I relate to a son or a daughter of God, I touch God. You see, that the New Testament teaches that when we're born again, that Christ comes to live in us, that our body becomes an extension of his body, and that we're all united by his spirit. And that's what Jesus is saying, is that when you touch a brother or sister of Christ, you touch Christ. Are you with me in this? And so here's what he's saying. He's saying at the end of time, he's going to separate people into sheep or goats. And it's, of course, the sheep are the true believers in Jesus, right? But how do you know if someone's a true believer in Jesus? Because they have the love of God for the family of God. You see, that's the sign. This is what James is saying. It's not just, oh, I believe in God. It's no, have you really been changed? Have you been transformed? Do you have the DNA of Jesus? If you've been born again, there's a new love in your life, and especially for the family. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that's why these people are in, because they have been born again. It's evidenced by their love that they're showing to their family members. So now he goes on, and he says in verse 41, They don't say to those on his left, which would be the goats, 
uh, depart from me, you who are cursed, you're under a curse, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, now this is sober stuff, isn't it? This is sober stuff. That this is, I want you to depart into eternal fire, and I want you to catch something. It's prepared for whom? The devil. And let, let, me catch, let, me, let me be clear. Jesus talks a lot about hell. We may not like that sometimes. It may be uncomfortable doctrine or teaching, but Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. And he says something very profound here, that hell was not created for the human race. Hell was created for Satan and his angels. It only became a destiny for the human race when we rebelled against our creator and we followed Satan. At that point, it became our destiny because we joined his team. You see? And so, so catch this. So this is all of our destiny apart from Jesus. Are you with me? The only way to get out of hell is through a relationship with Jesus. And when a man or a woman gives their life to Jesus and surrenders their life and repents from their sin and trusts in him and they're born again, Satan's power is broken in their life. And they are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. They're transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son. And now greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we become overpowers. We become part of his team. And that's why as Christ followers, we can wield weapons of warfare against the dark side. That's why in the name of Jesus, we can come and pray and ask and accomplish great things because he doesn't have authority over us anymore. Does this make sense? Now, the reason I bring this up, and I just want to do a quick little sidebar here. The reason I bring this up is because in every age, there will always be some who come and say, you know what, there isn't such a thing as hell. And there are those within the Christian community who will rise up and they'll teach things like, yeah, that that all people will eventually be saved and so on. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's a new book out right now that some of you are beginning to ask me about, and I thought I'd better go on record. And uh, it's a book by a very gifted uh, teacher, uh, pastor teacher in our, our country. He's a man named Rob Bell. Uh, some of you are familiar with his books, his, his, and he's, he's done the NUMA videos, which are really well done. And uh, he's a very gifted guy in so many ways. But he's recently written a book called Love Wins. And, and, and as I understand it, and I want to be clear, I have not read the book. Two people on our staff have read the book and talked to me about it. So I'm, I'm putting my comments, putting that neon lights. My understanding of the teaching, and it doesn't really matter who wrote it or whatever. I'm just, it's a hot topic now, so I just want to be clear. But uh, the, the point is, is that uh, the teaching is, is that all people will eventually be saved. All right? That, that because of God's love, because of Christ's death, that all people eventually be saved. Now, the only reason I say that is I want you to see that this seems to fly in the face of what Jesus says here, doesn't it? And, and so as Christ followers, there will always be those who will rise up and say, Jesus didn't really mean this or he didn't mean that. And our authority is Jesus. We come back to Jesus, right? And so whether it's popular, whether it's unpopular, whether I like it, I don't like it, I bow the knee to Jesus, right? And so this is what he says, is he says, uh, he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you are cursed and eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. And he'll tell him why. He said, because I was hungry and you gave me 
nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. They, they had never given their life to Christ, and they'd never been transformed. This, com- this love for Jesus had never been given birth in their life as evidenced by the lack of love for his followers. And he goes on through the same list, 43. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. I needed clothes. You didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison. You didn't look at me. And so they'll, they'll answer him, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, stranger, feeding clothes, sick in prison? I would not help you. And he said, I'll tell you the truth. If you didn't do it for one of the least of these, you, you didn't do it for me. And then they'll go away to eternal what? Punishment. Now, I, I don't know how many can be much clearer than that. Okay? But, but the righteous will go to eternal Life. So, so there's only two destinies for the human race. There's eternal punishment and there's eternal life, according to Jesus. Okay, if, that's, if, I'm, if I'm getting it right, according to, there are two destinies. And so if you're here, let me just say that, if you're here yet and, and you are not yet given your life to Christ, this is what's at stake. What's, what's at stake is your eternal destiny. And so I would encourage you to get on your knees and ask Jesus to forgive you for your rebellion and living as if he doesn't exist and and living your own life and accept his incredible gift of amnesty that he offers because of his death on the cross because it's the only way out of this destiny. You see, this is awesome. And so, so if, you're, if you're like, if you're here and, and you're not a Christ follower yet, I, I plead with you. I would beg you, come to know Christ. Come to know Christ. He died for you. He loves you. He wants to give you an incredible life. And then it starts with you receiving this gift, okay? And so that's not really what the message is on, but I just can't help but go through this message and say, like, say that, right? We're going we're gonna to do that. All right, so let's move on. So here's what I want you to catch. Here's what I want you to catch. That according to Jesus, that one of the marks that someone's truly been born again, one of the marks that someone is truly a Christ follower is that they love his people and that they, they, they have compassion on his people that are his followers, that are sick, that are poor, that are struggling, that can't take care of themselves. It's one of the marks of a Christ follower. So, so when James comes... James is building on the teaching of Jesus. He's not making this up. He's building on the teaching. So if you go back to James chapter 1, and you look at verse 27, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. This is one of the marks of a true religion, of a true Christ follower. And, and, and notice, he says widows and orphans, but look how Jesus expanded that. Did you notice that? He didn't just say widows and orphans. He said sick, in prison, naked, hungry. You see, it's all the same. It's this biblical category of those who are suffering, and it takes in all the human race, but, but it's especially family members. It starts at the body of Christ. See, in, in our life groups, in, in, in our church here, we are called to love one another like this. We are called. It's the mark of a Christ. So, so I've got a couple questions for you. And last week we talked about this. We don't want to be just people who listen to the word, people who love the word. We want to be people who do the word. And so I've got a couple questions just to see how we're doing. So number one, there in your note sheet, there's a section, true religion, do you have it? Okay. Number one, uh, the first question I'd ask is, are you growing in your compassion? Wow. <laughs> it wasn't just the, the sneeze. It was the res- audience response to the sneeze. I was like, you know, like stereo. Bless you. 
Yeah, I hope you feel significantly blessed. Um, all right, so, so the question is, are, are you growing in your compassion? So what, what the Bible teaches is that one of the marks of a Christ follower is that the DNA of Jesus comes into us. That, that we're born again, we've got God as our Father, the DNA of Jesus comes in. And one of the marks of Jesus is compassion. So the question is, are you growing in your compassion, especially for those who are going through hard times? Um, the, the, the New Testament teaches this all over the place, but one of the most clearest teachings is in the little letter of 1 John in, in the New Testament. Then in 1 John, John uses this metaphor, this analogy of being born again over and over again. And here's what he says. He says, when a man or woman comes to Christ, and they truly, they repent from their sin, and they trust in Christ, that they are born again. And he says there's four different marks of a person who's been born again. There's, there's four like genetic markers of, of a true Christ follower, okay? I, I want to give them to you real fast, right? And then we're gonna, uh, the first one that John says in 1 John, he says, the mark is, is that we realize who Jesus is, Okay, that the first mark of someone who's born, born they, they, the, their eyes are open, they realize that Jesus is God in the flesh and they worship him as Lord. Okay, that they're clear on who Jesus is. That's the first mark. The second mark of someone who's been born again is that they have a new passion for righteousness in their life. That they have a hunger to do what's right. They've got an aversion, a hatred of doing what's wrong. Not that we always do what's right, or we always, you know, we, we, we never fail, whatever, but, but that we're, we're not comfortable living on the dark side. That it used to be we were comfortable on the dark side. We could go out and party and think about it. We brag about it. We used to go out and sleep with a girlfriend. We brag about that. You know, it's just like, uh, it was just the, the dark side stuff, greed, rip people off. You know, it's so awesome. I ripped these people off. I ripped off the government. We, we brag about it. And so that's how it used to be. But, but now there's a new sense of a call to uh, righteousness, uh, living life in a holy and right way. And, and so we, we don't, it's kind of one of the genetic markers, okay? Uh, a third thing is that we have a new power in our life uh, over the world around us. That we have pulled away from the dark side in the world and we are overcomers. Uh, that whoever believes in Christ, born again, is, overcomes the world is the way John puts it. But the fourth mark is the one we're focusing on today. The fourth marker is that when someone's born again, that they have a new love for God and a new love for people. Okay? And it's very tangible. They just care about people. There's a new compassion in their life and a hunger to know God, but also a compassion for people. And so I want to show you an example of this. In 1 John, I put several verses there where he talks about being born again, and I just want to show you how this works. So here we go, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been what? Born of God, okay? You've been born again. Everyone who loves has been born of God, and knows God. It's a marker. Next verse uh, from 1 John 3, verse 9 and 10. Uh, he says, no one who is born of God, notice that, there it is, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. In other words, we won't, we won't continue just to live a life of sin. Do we ever fail? Yes, we fail. We ask God to forgive us. We, we feel bad when we fail. We don't want to live that way. We gave in. We're sorry, God. We want to get back on track. And so he says, no one who's born of God will continue to sin. Uh, because God's seed, okay, God's sperm is what he's saying there in the Greek. God's sperm, uh, that's what I'm calling his DNA, okay, his genetic makeup. Uh, because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he's been what? 
born of God. And this is how we know that who the children of God are and the children of the devil are. Only two kinds of people in the world, right? You're a child of God or you're a child of the devil, whether you know it or not. Like, you know, like before you came to Christ, you probably didn't think you were saying, I'm a child of the devil. Uh, I know some of you did, but, um, and it was obvious. But, uh, but, but most of us, we don't really think of it that way. But after we come to Christ, we realize, oh, that's the truth, that I was under his spell. I was pursuing his agenda. I was following his ways. I was, I was uh, following the spirit who is now at work among the disobedient, is the way Paul puts it. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, is, is how John puts it later in this letter. And so I, I didn't realize it, but I was following Satan. And so he says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the, the children of the devil are. And he gives us two of the markers. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, haven't been born again. He says, nor is anyone who does not what? Love his brother. You see the second marker? Love is a marker. Look at the next verse, 1 John 3, 14, a few verses down. We know that we've passed from death to life. In other words, we've been born again. Why? Because we love our brothers in in the movement of Jesus. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. You haven't been born again. A few verses down, 1 John 3, 17. If anyone has material possessions and he sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God? Be in him. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And this is how we know we belong to the truth. This is how you can be sure you've truly been born again, as you see this kind of activity going on in your life. There's, there's certain signs of life, right? Like the pulse is a sign of life. You don't have pulse, then you're not alive. And he says one of the, one of the signs of life of believers is love. You don't have a love, you don't have a sign of life, you're dead. Okay? And so John says that if you're born again, you have this DNA of Jesus, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be this compassion. And here's the thing. And as you act on it, it grows. As you act on it, it grows. And, and so just like using a muscle, the more you exercise it, the more it grows. And so with our love is that the seed of love is put in us, and as we water it, as we, play, as we, as we, as we uh, feed it, as we respond to it, it grows in our life. And so the first question is, are you growing in compassion in your life. Like for a normal, we talk about this as Christ was, we should be changing and growing, right? That we should have more compassion than we did five years ago. Like if we don't, something is seriously wrong with us, okay? I'm not saying you're not necessarily born again. Maybe you haven't had bad teaching. Maybe you haven't been obedient. Maybe you haven't been following the word, but something is seriously wrong. And maybe you're not born again. Maybe you're not. Like if there's no fruit, then it's good to go back to the basics and say, well, did I really get born again? If, if there's no evidence of it in my life, if I, if I don't have a hunger for righteousness, if I don't uh, really believe in Jesus, if I don't have this love, maybe I need to go back to basics and say, have I really ever trusted my life to Christ? Have I experienced this in my, my life? Okay, so there's the first question. The second question then is, are you ready to act? So are you ready to act? Um, this, of course, is the big question that James keeps bringing to us. Last, remember this whole section of Scripture we're in that we, we started covering last week. The section is that it's easy to deceive ourselves. It's easy to believe that we are following Jesus because we listen to his word and because we love the word. What a great message. But, but not do the word. And so the question is, in your life, uh, are, are you ready to act on this teaching about loving the poor? Are, are you ready to act? Are you ready to take action? 
Um, you know, we started the day with this story of this young family that came to Rocky Peak, you know, marriage on the rocks, um, uh, her and Sirius just coming out of being in the hospital three months, and, and then through all that, he came to Christ, and he got baptized, and they began to grow, and, and it's been so exciting to watch that. And I, I explained the financial difficulties they've gone through. Many of you can relate to that. Your business is like that. Your business is dried up. You've lost your house. You've, you, you know what this is like. And so, so this last week in January, he's wondering how he's going to feed his family. They have some food stamps. They, they, they are pretty much out of money. He's not sure how he's going to feed his family. He's praying about this. God, what do you want me to do? God's taught him so much about trusting and about how he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And he's grown so much. He's been an inspiration to so many at this church. He's a beautiful brother. And, uh, and yet he's, he's praying, God, what do you want me to do? And as he's driving to that life group on that morning, he hears God tell him, ask. I want you to tell the brothers. Of course, it was a hard thing to do. So, so they go through their meeting, have their normal life group meeting, as you will. They, they come to the end, and it's time for prayer requests. A lot of the guys know that he's been struggling, you know, but, but he hears God say, ask. And so he decides to take the risk. He says, guys, would you just, you know the situation, man. We just pray that God would provide for our family. How would you pray that God would strengthen my faith to trust in him, that he will provide? And so they went through their time of prayer. But afterwards, a couple of the guys pulled them aside. So we need to go shopping. And so they, they followed him to Vaughn's. They walked him into Vaughn's. They gave him a blank check and signed it. And they said, uh, you got a family of five a lot of mouths to feed. We want you to get everything you need and don't hold back. You just fill out the check. The check will be good. And so, so he's standing there in the parking lot as they give him this check, you know, and, and they're acting on it, aren't they? They're not just hearing the word. They're acting on it. And so he's standing there. And he's got tears coming down his, his face. He's so, so thankful to have these brothers that are real brothers, you know, it's just, they're not brothers in name. They're real brothers. He told me later, it's like about my whole life I've been looking for a brotherhood. Like, like they're real men. That's a, that's a quote from him. He says, these are real men. And he said, and I, I thank God for my brothers. He said, and then I thank God for speaking to me by his Holy Spirit and telling me to ask. And then I thanked him that his word is true, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he said, then I went in and I shopped like a man possessed. <laughs> and he said, and I filled that thing up with everything I think of my family. And when he got home with all those bags of groceries, and of course his, his wife and him had been telling their kids, we didn't trust God, God will provide. He's got five little kids. They're all under this high. And uh, their eyes got big. And that night, he wrote an email to the guys of his group. And I want to I read it to you. It's from uh, January 29th of this year. It says, as I reflect on my day, I can't help but thank God. You see, this morning as I prayed, the Lord spoke to me and said, simply ask. He must have known how hard this is for me because it's difficult for me to do. I, of course, wanted to hear something different, and I even questioned the request. So I pulled up to the house this morning. I once again asked, are you sure? 
as we got ready to go upstairs to start the meeting, God once again reassured me to trust in the process and simply believe. When prayer requests were asked, I'd already let you know my situation. I simply asked for provision and a continuance of trust. The love that I felt from you, gentlemen, is not only genuine, but an answer to prayer. I've always prayed for a genuine brotherhood, and the love that was displayed to me only solidifies my belief. Later, he emailed me about this. He wanted me to know. And he said, he described what happened that day when he came home. He said, as I came home with the groceries, my family, foot, uh, my family stood and watched with each bag I brought, the more excited my children got. My boys, um, uh, my, my boys with whom my wife and I continued to explain how you must trust God, the boys exclaimed, Daddy, where did you get all this food? And can we eat us whatever we want? And with tears in my eyes, I said, God is good. And I began to tell my, my family the story of what had happened. As I mentioned, it wasn't just the food, but it was the encouragement of these men that it's just such a blessing. It allows me to continue to love God with all my heart, which in turn helps me to be the husband, the father, and the brother that God wants me to be. None of what None of that would have been possible without him and his plan for my life. He led me to the church at Rocky Peak. He surrounded me with some very special individuals. And I thank him every day for that. Awesome. Now, here's the point. Here's some guys in the group say they didn't listen to the word. And just love the word. They acted on the word, right? And so this is the movement of Jesus. Are, are you with me? This is the movement of Jesus. This is how it works. This is how it works. Here at Rocky Peak, we have a vision. Sunleash a movement of passionate Christ followers who are pursuing God as our number one love in life who are loving others as he has loved us and serving sacrificially and then sharing the message of Jesus, you see? And it's what it looks like. So, so here were some men that they were ready to act. They hear my question for you is how about you? Are you ready to act? Are you ready to listen to the word and love the word but are you ready to act and do the word? Now, I, I don't know what ask God is going to ask you to do. I just know he's incredibly creative, right? And, and for some of you, it will probably be something big. And for others of you, it might be something small. And for some of you, it'll be something today. And for others of you, it'll come in two weeks or a month. But whether it's big or small or long or short in time, the question is, are you ready to act? And so let me flesh it out. For some of you, he may ask you to do something big. He may ask you to sell your house and downsize and get a smaller place to free up money to help the brothers and sisters. For some of you, 
He may ask you to take that spare room that you have and invite that single mom who can't afford a place and her daughter to come and live with you in your house and to create a home, to take in the widow and the orphan. For some of you, he may put it on your heart to mentor that teenage boy who is in effect an orphan. He's got a single mom who desperately wants someone to mentor her son. She can't do it. She can't provide what a man would provide. For others of you, he'll ask you to readjust your line items in your monthly budget and create a regular line item for the poor. And every month you're going to put some money in there so that when a time comes that something is needed, you'll have it ready to go. For some of you, it will be to adopt a child who doesn't have a home. For some of you, it will be something smaller. It will be as simple as providing a meal or driving someone to the hospital who can't drive or offering to clean out their house because they're disabled right now. It may be as simple as buying a a sack of groceries for someone going through hard times. So I don't know if it's big or small, but here's what I know. I know our lives do not belong to us. I know that. And here's what I know. Your money doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. I know that. If you're a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower, it's yours. You're good. You got other problems, but you can have your money. (laughs) But you're a Christ follower. Your stuff belongs to him. He's the king. You manage it, right? And so the question is, are you well? You know, for some of us, it's going to be a small thing. For, for some of you, you came in today and you had no intention of going without your mocha for a week because that is ridiculous. <laughs> and who would ever think, you know? But I'll tell you what, there's a reason we do these initiatives for the poor. It's a small step, right? In the scheme of things, to drink water, for, it's a small step. Come on. Come on. It's a small step. In the scheme of things, to bring a couple blankets in for the homeless, in the scheme of things, for most of us, it's small. To, to buy a couple farm animals at Christmas, to bring in a box of food for the poor. I mean, in the scheme of things, it's a small thing. But can I tell you something? It's a small step. But can I tell you something? It is a small step in the right direction. It might be a small step, but it's the right road. And small steps lead to bigger steps. And that's why we're doing these initiatives for the poor as a church, because we want to grow. And so we believe that as we take small steps, God will touch our hearts. He'll create more compassion. So maybe that's your step. Maybe that's your step. But the question is, when your time comes, whether it's big or small, will you act And will you allow God to change your paradigm that we are the family of God, we're brothers and sisters, and we take care of one another? That's what we do. Would you stand with me? I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to go right into worship. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be doers of the word, Uh, not just listeners, not just lovers, but doers. Thank you for these brothers who reached out in your name and were your hands and feet, and they, as they touched this man and his family, they touched you. 
And we thank you for the model that they've given to inspire us today. It's a small thing in the scheme of things, but a powerful thing. And so, God, we pray that you would unleash a movement here and that you would tear down the walls. You would tear down the walls of false understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower. That it's just about what happens in this place in these four walls. You'd tear down the walls that we would go out in your name, that these, we would rescue sons and daughters who are in darkness. And whether it's here or abroad, whether it's in Africa through water wells, or it's here in our own city with those who don't know you, and most of all, here in our own church, as we love one another as brothers and sisters, we touch you. We pray that you tear down the walls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's our calling to be a difference. And uh, James says, hey, there's three ways you're to be different. How you talk, how you love, the lives of purity that you live. And, and so today the focus has been on loving the poor. And so may we make a difference. And may we listen to what the Spirit's saying to us. And as a church, may that just ripple through our church and our life groups. As God touches one person and they touch another not even realizing that as they touch another, they're touching Jesus, right? And he feels that touch. And as the world looks on and says, there's something going on at that church. It's like I keep hearing stories about that church. And then they come to check out this church and they meet Jesus here, the, the one that only one who can save, right? And I hope you can be with us next week for Easter. I want to give you a hot tip. Get here early, all right? Because we're, imp- we're importing about 500 of those Sunday people. And uh, so this place will probably be packed. The last two Easter's, this has been our biggest service of all, Saturday night. And, uh, and invite a friend. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to talk about how the resurrection changes everything and it forces a decision. It would be a great service to bring someone to. If you've had someone you've been wanting, you know, people are often looking for a place to go on Easter. Just... Hey, I'd love to have you come here. And uh, don't forget then, as you go, that if you're going to join us on the Water Fest, you've got a band right by the door. Don't take it unless you're going to use it because we ran out last, last we bought more, but we ran out last time. So, so if you're going to use it, uh, great. We'd love you to have it. Uh, and uh, that'll help you remember. But uh, I officially pronounce it for Saturday Night Crowd, the fast is now on, right? The fast is now on. <laughs> that... Uh, but water only. Now, don't forget, though, before you come to church next week, I want you to have some caffeine because I don't want you dead and boring, right? <laughs> and, uh, and also, let me say this just practically, that, I, that some of you, in all seriousness, I know are, are addicted to caffeine. And so if you go all the way off, you're going to have a headache. And I don't want you being cranky for Jesus like all week. <laughs> So I would suggest in all seriousness, if that's you, and if you don't have a problem, don't cheat. But if that's your problem, for medicinal purposes only, when you get up, have a cup of strong coffee. Get that caffeine in you because this whole point is to make Jesus look good, not make him look bad, all right? God bless you. I love you. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.